If you have your Bibles, you can open to Genesis. If you need a Bible, um, our ushers have ones that have been disinfected, and they will bring them to you. So just uh, raise your hand and indicate that you're in need of a Bible, and they'll make sure that's provided. For our scripture reading, we're going to be reading um, uh, a, just a, a selection of verses throughout these opening 12 chapters to kind of remind us of the lay of the land. So I'll just kind of announce as we go, but... We're going to be starting in Genesis 3, so you can open to Genesis 3. You've got to keep your finger there so the wind doesn't blow it closed on you. Let's uh, stand for the reading of God's word. First from Genesis 3, verses 6 and 7. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, And that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then verses 14 and 15. Yahweh God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. And then chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of Yahweh. And then verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then verses 23 to 26, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Then chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, a different Lamech. When this Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son, And called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that Yahweh is cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Then chapter 9, verse 1, after the flood. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Still in chapter 9. Verses 26 and 27. Noah also said, Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servants. servant. And then lastly, chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. Now Yahweh said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house 
to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as Yahweh had told him. You can be seated as we pray. Father, together, physically together, we unite our prayers right now. And we ask that your spirit would be active in our midst as we've sung your word and now heard it read and now sit and linger on it. The lessons that you have given us through this study in Genesis, we pray that you would solidify in our hearts and move us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 215 unmarked graves of children who should have been with their families. Hundreds and hundreds of other children who those unmarked graves represent. 80,000 babies whose life is snuffed out of them in their mother's womb each year in Canada alone. Four family members struck dead because of a hate-filled driver of a car. One knee on a neck even after the I can't breathe gives way to a limp motionless body. Our world is broken. And we can varnish it all we want, layer after layer. The reality is our world is broken deeply. And Genesis pulls no punches in acknowledging this reality. One fruit. That God's, God's image bearers take and eat in rebellion against God. Fratricide. As one man lures his brother into a field. Because he's jealous to strike him dead. You have Lamech boasting to his wives about how a boy injured him and he killed him in return. You think of the generation of Noah, where the mighty men were so immoral. And then you think of the Tower of Babel building up to the sky to show how great we are in defiance of God. Genesis is clear that our world 
is broken. And specifically, the city of man. You're keeping notes. The first first theme from these opening 12 chapters of Genesis, the city of man is toxic. When you read, it's so clear. It comes after you like wave after wave, hitting you, hitting you, hitting you. This world is broken, depraved, and dangerous. I say the city of man, because that is not how God created it. We see very, very clearly in this opening two chapters of Genesis that God created something very good, free of any of that. It's only when man rises up and rebels against God and says, I will be my own God, that the city of man in all of its corruption is established. The city of man is toxic. But Genesis is actually doing more than peeling back each layer of veneer to expose just how rotten things are. It is also answering for us the why question. So under this heading, the city of man is toxic. Why? Genesis wants us to know. It doesn't seek to answer the why in the sense of what is the purpose for it. Rather, it's the why in the sense of what is the cause of it. And if God created a very good world with his image bearers at the top and only one command given to Adam, we know that none of the evil and brokenness, none of the toxicity of this world was God's doing. Genesis places the blame fully and squarely on humanity. Adam as the lead. But it's like a game of follow the leader where our head takes us and we all by our nature follow down the same path of depravity. The world is the way it is because of us. Because we have rebelled against God. Specifically, it is a broken world because we are cut off from God's blessing. We are cut off from our creator. We are cut off from his presence. That's what you see in the Garden of Eden when that sin happens. There's a relational fracture between them and God. And then there's actually a spatial distancing as they're forced to leave God's place and the blessing that comes with it. Our world is broken because we are cut off from our creator. One of the illustrations I give of that is, you know, those those little blow-up spaghetti men that they have in front of car dealerships. They have a purpose, but you separate them from their power source and they just hang limp. It's not as it should be doesn't look right because it's been cut off from the source that gives it its power. We as a world, as God's creation have been cut off from our God. And that is why we are toxic, the city of man. 
and we are cut off because of our sin. That has that is the cause. That's why a holy God in his justice had to send us out. We said, no, I will be my own God. Thank you very much. I will not follow your rule. So under this heading, the city of man is toxic. Why? Because of our rebellion. Well, I'll be honest with you. Coming into our study in Genesis, I, I already kind of knew that that was a, a key theme there. But through our study, there's been another theme under this heading of our world, the city of man is toxic that, that is, that's really stood out to me. And I want to I kind of give an illustration to explain this kind of second point. The first one is why. The second one is a warning. When I was in high school, our church sent a team of teens to Romania on a missions trip. And I was uh, glad to be able to be a part of that team. On our way to Romania, we had a long layover in Amsterdam. And so um, our leaders said, let's go see the city. And we're walking and enjoying the city. When all of a sudden I hear the leader say, everybody right now, look down at the sidewalk and do not look up. You see, our leaders had taken a wrong turn. And it led this group of teenagers into the red light district. And so I remember hearing that strong warning, look down at the ground. And I can remember the, the shoes. I don't remember what they were, but I remember staring at the shoes of the person in front of me as I followed their feet until our leader said, okay, we're safe. And Genesis does something like that. It knew Israel was about to head God inspired Moses knowing that Israel was about to head out into the land of Canaan where they would see that some of the great civilizations of that day with their high walls, their ornate gardens, their luxurious food and drink, their, their wealth. And it would be tempting to look at all of that opulence and be drawn in, to be enticed and say, I want that for me. Whatever it is that, that that represents, it's good, it's beautiful. I want that for me. And so to be lured in to those toxic cities. And the outside can look innocent enough, but its roots are dark. And the ultimate fruit it produces is dark. You see, the city of man, even at its best, is toxic. And the story that underscores that more than any is the Tower of Babel, right? What could be better than all of humanity united as one with a common purpose? And it's not a vile purpose, at least not explicitly. They just want to build this tall, flood-proof flood tower that would, that would show, you know, it would be a testament to the greatness of man. the final scene in these opening chapters before Abram's call. And this act itself, God says, is so dangerous, he has to come down and separate the peoples. You see it over and over again. Th this culture, this, this city of man, you know who founded it? Cain. 
Lamech, Ham, the one who mocked his righteous father by going around and telling others about his nakedness. That's, that's where these civilizations come from. Be warned. And so Genesis is telling Israel and telling us, keep your eyes down on the pavement. Don't look up. Do not be enticed. Maple Avenue, let us hear the warning that Genesis gives us. It can be so tempting to look at all that this world affords and to be lured in and enticed. It can seem innocent on the outside, but its roots are dark and its ultimate fruit is dark. This world's understanding of what gives us worth is wrong. This world's understanding of what success is is wrong. This world's sense or understanding of our bodies is wrong. This world's understanding of what human sexuality is about is wrong. This world's understanding of beauty is wrong. We have to be careful because we are, it's, it's everywhere. These wrong messages, they are in our movies, they're in our schools, they're in our museums, they're in our music. It's pervasive. So we need to be warned. Keep your eyes down. Do not be enticed. It's not all that it seems. If this is something you want to think about a little bit more, there's actually three different books that are all really helpful in exposing some of this. One is called No Place for Truth by David Wells. Another one is called Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. And a third is called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. They're all a bit of a heavy read, but they're all really, really insightful and in kind of exposing just, just how vacuous the city of man and its ideas are. So that is the first heading. City of man is toxic. But God did not abandon us in that. And so the second major theme of Genesis 1 through 12 is that God alone is our source of hope. God alone is our source of hope. It's interesting. I said how the depravity of man hits this kind of wave after wave after wave in Genesis. But even as wave after wave hits, God keeps coming with his promise. We saw it first in Genesis 3.15. God didn't have to promise a way out after Adam and, Adam, Adam and Eve rebelled, but he did. And God did not have to preserve humanity after Cain and his line, when, when, the, when the people call out. He didn't have to, but he did in Seth's line. And God did not have to 
save humanity from his flood of judgment. He could have wiped them all out, but he did. And God did not have to pluck Abram out of the nations and say, I am going to restore things so that you can be restored to my place as my people with my blessing for all the families of the earth. But he did. And it comes and it comes and it comes. Genesis 3.15, the promise of seed of the woman. And then through Seth's line. And then through Noah's line. And then through Shem's line. And then through Abram, who becomes the prototype nation that would be the one through whom all families of the earth would be blessed. It continues in Genesis through Judah and then in the Old Testament through David and the promise of the new covenant. And then Jesus comes and do you know what he does? He takes the very sin that was the cause of our separation, the cause of us being cut off from the land, and he bears it himself on the cross so that we could be forgiven if we hide ourselves in him and restored to a relationship with our God. One key question in Genesis, from whose hand does redemption come? From whose hand do we find a source of hope? From whose hand will salvation be brought? And it's God's, God's, and God alone. That's why when you read about Adam, failed, it's not coming through him. Noah, failed, not coming through him. Abram, read on in Genesis, fails, not coming through him. Even the great men of the Old Testament are shown in all their flaws because the only hope for us is God alone. So when you're drowning and lost and overwhelmed by the brokenness of this world, whether it's on a major level like we talked about at the beginning or on a personal level, where can you turn? You can turn to the God who is doing something to restore us to his presence, to restore us to a relationship with our creator, to restore us to his land, to restore us as his people for the original purpose for which he created us. You can look to him. He loves us. He cares for us. That is where redemption is found. God alone is a source of hope. But when God saves us, he doesn't just save us so that we escape our sin. He actually restores us to our original purpose, to be his image bearers on this earth. So the third major heading we can take away from our time in Genesis we are called to present to the world an alternative. We are called to present to the world an alternative. That is, the God who alone is the source of hope has chosen to tether himself to us to establish image bearers on this earth, to establish a, a people for himself. 
who are a reflection of him, holy like he is holy. And we see in Genesis that God, from the very beginning, isn't just redeeming the world, he's redeeming them so that they can again be restored to the purpose for which God created us. Walking ambassadors to the one true God who is holy and just and loving and merciful and peaceful and tender and righteous. There are two hallmarks of this this new people that he's establishing that we've seen in Genesis. And the first and most crucial is faith. We're not... We're not the most righteous people like, okay, God looks around and says, okay, who seems like the most godly? Okay, you're on my team. You're on my team. No, it's people who trust him, who look in faith, who trust the promises of God and the hope they bring in the face of hardship, in the face of much difficulty, mockery, at great cost to themselves, but they trust God's promises. They say the one true God has promised redemption and I believe it. And that's what we're called to be. People of faith. Like Abram, our father in faith. Entrusting ourselves to God. Believing his promises and acting accordingly. Of course, the other distinction then is that we are set apart or distinct from the world. So you think of Noah, who was uniquely righteous in his day, living differently from the world around him. You think of Shem, who chose a different path when his brother came telling out about his his father's nakedness, and he takes a different course, the righteous course, and backs in and covers him. And you think of Abram, going into the land of Canaan and there in Canaan establishing altars to the name of Yahweh. We are called to be a distinct people so that when others look at God's people who have been redeemed by him and changed in their hearts by him, they get a taste for what the world is supposed to be. The city of man is toxic. But the city that God is establishing is whole and good and healthy and right. And that is what we are called to be as we put our faith in him and walk by faith and not by sight. Our world is toxic. The city of man is toxic. God alone is the source of hope. He's called us to present the world an alternative. When we hear about 215 or I can't breathe, our hearts can ache. Ache for justice. And they should. But it's easy, it's easy to say, well, those are just these isolated incidents that are out there. They, they don't define us. These acts won't define us. But they do. 
they do define us. You see, in Genesis, you have different kinds of sin. You have Lamech and Cain. But you also have Eve. It looks good. Desirable. Makes one wise. You have Babel. Let's, let's all work together. Build a tower. And because all of it is done in rebellion against God and saying it will be my way, not God's. It is all lumped together in Genesis as part of what makes this world toxic. And the big things that are out there are actually often true right here. I might not have suffered from that injustice, but there are others that you may have suffered from that hurt and sting and linger. We might be less like Cain and more like Eve. We might be less like Lamech and more like those Babel builders. But the root is the same. We live in a dangerous world. So, what's the solution? What, what can we do? Where does the revolution begin? It begins here. If the problem is here, it begins here. As you and I put our faith in God's rescuer, Jesus, and say, all right, this is the hope for the world. Jesus is it. God alone. And so I'm on board. Take me wherever you're going to go. And we as a church then unite together to be those kinds of people. To be people who are called out from the nation saying, we want to be part of the revolution. We want to show the world that there's something better. That Jesus' redemption is actually real. I don't want to keep playing follow the leader with Adam. I want to start playing follow the leader with Jesus. And that is, that is the course as our hearts ache for justice. I might not be able to do much about unmarked graves. But it's not just about a few corrupt school officials or the random bad police officer. It's about all of us realizing our own inherent depravity and brokenness and turning in repentance from the way of Adam in faith to the way of Jesus. And saying, may we be defined as God's people so that the hope that God alone provides can be made known to our families, to our community, in our workplaces, to the glory of God. And that is why we have, it's fitting that we have this table before us this morning. Because this is the table that says, I'm following Jesus. He's my new leader. His death and his resurrection is what has defined me. And as we unite to do this together, it is it is a statement of rebellion against the toxicity of this world. It's a statement of faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Genesis and the themes that we've learned from it. I pray that they would not soon be forgotten. 
That we wouldn't be lured in by this world, but would instead be lured into Christ, our salvation. So that we can stand with him as his new people and point the world to the one true hope, the salvation God brings, you bring. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I would normally be down with you, doing communion together with you, but uh, because of how mics work, I'll be up here. But uh, Terry's here with me. If there's anyone who will be participating in communion who's yet to receive a cup, that looks like this. Uh, Terry is going to bring one to you. So if you can just, uh, there's some hands. I see them. We'll make sure we get them to you. Um, just, I think you're aware of the logistics of how this works. But uh, there's two layers. The top layer is the, the bread, and the second layer is the cup. So I'll wait a moment while that's all distributed. What a great thing. That after a few months of not having communion together and after 15 months of not being on that communion as one church, we now, as the people of God, can unite together. This is a meal for those who are genuine believers. That means you have repented and said, I'm not following Adam, I'm following Jesus. You've placed your faith in him. It's a meal for you. If you are actively choosing a course that is in con uh, you're going against what God's intentions are and you know that, don't take communion unless you can repent right now. I'd encourage you to do repent and, and take communion. But you can actually, the Bible says, bring condemnation on yourself if you take it in an unworthy manner. But for us who are sinners but know where our hope is and are repenting of our sin and turning to Jesus, this is the very thing we need. So let's first take that uh, bread out. Paul wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we needed rescue. Jesus came and gave his own body to be broken. A lamb before the lamb led to the slaughter. So that we could be redeemed by his wounds, we are healed. So thank you for the bread. In Christ's name, amen. You can go ahead and peel that second layer off. In the same way also, Paul writes, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me.
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Let's pray together. Father, sinners like us need your forgiveness so we can be whole in our relationship with you, be reconciled to you, adopted into your family. Sinners like us need your mercy. So thank you for this table. And the reminder it is that your mercy is more, more than we can fathom, more than our sins. Amen.